You're listening to a Toronto Centre podcast. Welcome. The goal of TC Podcasts is to spread the knowledge and accumulated experience of global leaders, experts, and world-renowned specialists in financial supervision and regulation. In each episode, we'll delve into some of today's most pressing issues as it relates to financial supervision and regulation. The financial crisis, climate change, financial inclusion, fintech, and much more. Enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on where you're located. And welcome uh, very much to another episode of Toronto Centre's virtual webinar series on supervision post-COVID-19. Uh, we have today 352 registered attendees for this webinar from 52 countries, all the way from Anguilla through to Zimbabwe. So thank you very much to those who've joined and welcome again. Uh, my name is Clive Brailt and I'm the chair of Toronto Centre's Banking Advisory Board and our distinguished panellists today are Maureen Sims, who is the Deputy Governor Financial Institutions in the Supervisory Division of the Bank of Jamaica and Kuba Naidu, the Deputy Governor and Chief Executive Officer of the Prudential Authority within the South African Reserve Bank. Uh, you should already have received their bios uh, by registering for this event. So welcome uh, to Maureen and Kuban. It's great to have you with us today. Thank you. Managing through the pandemic and adjusting to the new normal has not been easy for financial supervisors. Uh, and as its contribution to this effort, Toronto Centre published in late September uh, a comprehensive practical and cross-sectoral guide to supervision in the COVID-19 world. Uh, with input from a wide range of supervisory authorities and stand set, standard setters. Uh, I do encourage you to read it uh, and we'll put up a link to it in the chat function in a few minutes. Uh, but today we want to focus particularly on uh, responses to the impact of COVID-19 on the use of on-site visits to supervised financial institutions. And obviously among the many impacts of COVID-19, uh, it has made it more difficult, if not impossible, to undertake on-site supervisory visits. In response to that, we've seen many workarounds and alternatives uh, to substitute for on-site visits. Uh, some of those are reasonably straightforward, such as uh, telephone calls and video conferencing as an alternative to physical face-to-face -face meetings. But it may be more difficult to find good alternatives to some other types of supervisory work typically undertaken during on-site visits. Uh, and as discussed in the previous webinar in this series, a recording of which can be found on the Toronto Centre website, uh, the constraints on on-site visits have also been one factor in supervisory authorities accelerating their adoption of the use of technology and data analysis to assist with their supervision. Now we do intend today to leave time for questions and answers. So do please use the Q&A tab on your Zoom screen to submit your questions. Uh, the Q&A tab, please, rather than the chat function. And finally, I'd like to thank the key sponsors of Toronto Centre, namely Global Affairs Canada, Swedish CEDA, the IMF, Jersey Overseas Aid, USAID and Comic Relief. And finally, also a word of thanks to Demet Kanachka and Diana Bird of Toronto Centre, who've worked so hard to bring you this quality webinar. Uh, so without further ado, let's, uh, let's start to hear from the panelists. Uh, and the first questions uh, that I'd like to ask them is just to check in on what they did as supervisors uh, in terms of on-site visits before COVID-19. Uh, what distinction was drawn in their supervisory authorities between off-site and on-site supervisory activities. So Maureen, would you like to go first on that one, please? Oh, thank you. Thank you so very much. And I should say welcome to all the participants that are watching from all over the world. Well, in Jamaica, what did we do? Now, maybe I should start by saying that over the past four years or so, we have been ruling out our risk-based supervisory methodology. 
And that methodology somewhat removes that distinction between on-site and off-site supervision. So examiners are engaged in ongoing supervision with frequency and duration of the on-site examination being dependent on the stage of development of the risk profile of the institution. So for example, for entities currently being brought under the methodology, on-site visits are more frequent and are more intensive. While for those entities where we have already established um, the methodology in terms of rolling out for them, visits are less frequent and are more targeted. And that involves undertaking a series of assessments of significant activities undertaken during that examination to determine inherent risk, the effectiveness of risk management and mitigation at the line management level, and the quality of the oversight of capital and earnings and liquidity you know, the, on the relevant risks. Um, fast forward to COVID-19 and what that has, um, how that has impacted us. Firstly, the impact on the economy um, was the most significant and, and, and urgent um, aspect for us because it increased the vulnerability of licensees of the banking system, given the fallout in the economy. So the kind of uh, intensive monitoring that is now required during this pandemic forced us to have more frequent um, interaction with licensees from daily liquidity monitoring, more intense reports, discussions with, 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 um, with boards of management and, and board, board, with boards and senior management. But to compound all of that, work from home mandates and how you pivoted around that particular requirement forced us to be, um, uh, well, to adopt new ways, new, 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 new ways to do our, our examinations. We had to, for example, design very quickly, tailored reporting forms um, the meetings with boards all took place virtually and our, our, our discussions all had to happen virtually as well. Um, if you're in a place like Jamaica where you, the internet system is not very reliable all the time, then you would need also determine how you communicated, the time you communicated and whether or not you needed to use communication pods in that, um, whether or not you would need to have a couple of examiners in the same place to ensure that you had reliable connections um, in terms of supervising. But it, it, it forced us to be innovative in how we supervise. Um, but that, that, that is how it changed for us. Lots of things happened virtually um, and continue to do so. If you look at my background, for example, I'm working from home and I've been working from home for the most part since March or April when you know the work from home orders um, went, into, went into place. Right. Okay, thank you very much, Maureen. And Kuben, over to you. Uh, the same question, what was, what was on-site supervision looking like before you entered the COVID-19 pandemic? Uh, good morning, Clive and Maureen, and, and uh, good morning to all the, the viewers of the webinar. Uh, good afternoon, good evening, I guess, depending on where you are. Um, I, I, I think our experience is not too different from Maureen's. Um, over the last four or five years, we've gradually reduced the number of on-site uh, visits, on-site meetings. Uh, we rely more and more on data. We rely more and more on audit reports, internal audit, external audit reports. Uh, we rely more on the assurance functions um, that we have in place uh, to interrogate the data and to have discussions with the banks. Um, that doesn't mean to say that there was a reduction. So, so there was certainly a reduction in the intensity of on-site visits 
uh, on-site visits used to feel like inspections five or 10 years ago. Uh, they're much more meetings now. So we'd still have many meetings with banks um, from a CEO prudential to a board prudential, ops risk, IT risk, uh, credit risk, you know, the teams would meet the banks. But much of the work is done beforehand. Much of the data analysis takes place uh, from the office uh, or from home today. Um, but what I would call offsite effectively. Uh, and it's a discussion about key issues. It's a discussion about top of mind issues. Uh, so if we were having a particular meeting with a particular bank, we would say, look, you know, you're particularly exposed in the retail property sector, in the income producing real estate sector. Uh, we're a little bit worried about you on that regard. You know, we've seen the data, we know what your plans are, but talk to us, give us a, a feel for how you see the picture. Uh, and, you know, it's that eye-to-eye -eye contact that, that is useful in the meetings to get a sense of, of whether they see uh, income producing real estate as a big risk or not. Uh, for a, so, so, so that's certainly the one case. I should state that the one area which is pretty or was pretty unchanged for 10 years was AML CFT supervision. Uh, in general, it was on-site, and in general, it took on the format of sort of the security police walking into the building, uh, putting everything on, on ice uh, and asking for a series of uh, data reports and documents. Uh, I'm being facetious, but actually it wasn't very, uh, it, it wasn't much more modern than that. Um, and we've had to adapt that dramatically. So since COVID, I, I, I'm working from home. I, I've not been to the office once since the 23rd of March. All of our prudential meetings have taken place virtually. Uh, all of our CEO prudentials, board prudentials, detailed discussions with banks on credit risk or, or, or market risk or ops risk or cyber issues have all taken place remotely uh, or virtually. Um, it took us about two or three months to adapt the AML CFT inspection process, the audit process uh, to be suitable for virtual uh, remote working, but we got it right in the end. Uh, it, it was, uh, it, it's working pretty well now. Uh, so Clive, that's a, a brief summary of, of okay. how it used to be and, and what the picture is under COVID. Okay, great. Thanks for that, Kuban. Uh, the next question I'd like to ask is, you know, what have been the main challenges that have arisen uh, as a result of these alternative and substitute approaches? And perhaps as part of that, we could we could pick up the first two questions that have come in from the participants today. So thank you very much to those who asked the questions. Uh, and two questions, both of which I think relate to the challenges. The first is regarding virtual on-site interviews. How would you ensure that only the relevant persons are present during the interview? Uh, and the second question, how do you deal with the issue of trust? Uh, which I'm assuming means that particularly if you're doing things virtually, uh, you just need to be a little bit more trusting of the responses you receive. It's that little bit more difficult to follow up and check. So, you know, do you feel you're having to uh, trust your financial institutions a little bit more as a result of operating virtually? So what are the challenges? Uh, and within that, those two specific questions that have been posed by the participants. Uh, Maureen, do you want to take that first? Sure. Um, the issue of trust. Um, one of the things that we have done in our banking laws is to ensure that banks have a legal, mandatory, statutory, whichever you choose, obligation to provide true and fair information to the supervisor. And it is an offense if they provide bad information. So um, over the years, we have developed that kind of trust in terms of prudential data that, um, that institutions provide us. Additionally, they, all our institutions are required to do external audits and the external audit reports, um, those financials are published. If there is any significant deviation from those financial information with the information that is provided prudentially over time if there is any significant or material difference in that information they are required to republish 
and to state what those material changes or differences are. So over time, we've developed a good relationship and a good trust in the type of information or the efficacy of the information that um, institutions give to us. We have years of tradition of prudential reporting. The challenge is, one of the big challenge is the type of prudential information traditionally um, collected and the type of information that we would need now, now that on-site is, 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 is constrained to a great deal, how do you change or evolve that data to make it more relevant and to make it more effective for what, what you're doing? Um, to the question of how you, you, you use technology, our, our IT department um, have, you know, they play a big role in, in all of this, in ensuring that only persons who are invited to the meeting literally gets onto the site. They control that link and they do some amount of verification before getting into the meeting. So for example, I couldn't just set up a virtual meeting on my own. I need to send it to the IT department or a specific person who will then arrange the meeting and send me a link. So there, there, there are controls built around that. Um, but the, the, those challenges we are working through and we get better at it every day. Um, that's a good thing that practice does. Um, so yes, the type of information that we collect, we need to relook. Um, Clive spoke to how they, 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 they took, it took them a, a couple of months to, to, re, to rejigger how they do the, did their email safety supervision. Um, we're doing that, for example. We are using um, data analytic firms, third party firms, for example, to help us in our, in, in our, in our email safety supervision. Um, and I can speak a little bit more about that later on, but that is how we have been um, treating with some of the challenges that we, that we are facing. We will have to revise our, our suite of prudential information. Um, we do also have to revise um, the kind of interface um, um, that we have in those data collection to make it more seamless and for uh, um, the, 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 the sharing of less structured data in a way that will facilitate analysis. Okay, thank you very much, Maureen. Uh, Kuben, over to you, the challenges, and if you have an opportunity that particular points raised in the questions from the participants. Sure, thanks. Look, I, I would say that it differs quite dramatically between big institutions and small institutions, developed institutions and less developed institutions. So we supervise banks with a balance sheet of $100 billion, uh, and we supervise banks with a balance sheet of a few tens of thousands of dollars uh, on the other extreme. Um, and you, know, you do have to have a differential approach. Um, you, you, you cannot expect the same level of digitization or sophistication from a cooperative bank or some mutual banks uh, or a cooperative financial institution as you do with a big bank. And you've got to live with that, right? Um, it took us a few months to be able to have uh, virtual meetings with some of the smaller cooperative banks in rural areas. Uh, but actually there was absolutely seamless transition to virtual meetings for the bigger banks, uh, the ones that are based in the urban centers. Uh, you know, it, it, was, it was as if um, it was extremely smooth and, and, and seamless. So, so, so that is something you've got to bear in mind. Uh, and in the, you know, I think in the crisis months of March, April in South Africa, certainly, you've got to focus on the big systemic institutions. Um, and in some ways, ignore the rest, right? And you know, it, it's about uh, financial stability is top of mind. Uh, the liquidity requirements of the banks, the capital requirements of the banks. Um, we we moved to weekly reporting and then daily reporting at some point um, for many many metrics, uh, you know, including COVID infections per bank, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, branch openings, closings, all of those sorts of things. 
and you you actually just have to i guess close your eyes and ignore the the fact that you're not sure of the data that comes from the smaller institutions by june july august you know we we were able to get a better handle on those institutions um we we were able to to verify a bit more of their data we were able to um i guess pay more attention to them I mean, Maureen made a similar point at the beginning. In general, we trust the institutions we regulate, right? Uh, in general, we've got pretty mature relationships with the, with the, with the institutions we regulate. Uh, in general, they're honest with us. If there's a problem, they're the first to tell us. But that's not always the case. And there are things that slip through the cracks and there are banks that uh, hide things, um, you know, duck and dive. But in general, you know, we've got a pretty mature, honest, open relationship. You know, the, the culture of supervision that we try to uh, eschew is uh, one where we're the fire marshal in the town. We're not the traffic policeman hiding behind the tree, right? You know, hey, you've been speeding. We're the fire marshal in the town and, and the banks are the big buildings uh, and their tenants in these buildings. And it's in both of our interests that there be no fires. Um, our success is not measured by the number of fires we put out. Uh, in an ideal world, there should be no fires. Uh, and so we can have a mature discussion with the bank about, you know, that fire escape is a bit rickety. It's, it's, it needs some, some paintwork. Uh, it may fall apart. We'd like you to spend some money fixing it. And, you know, there are, there are, most bankers will say, thank you for pointing that out. We're on it. Uh, some bankers will say, well, you know, I actually can't afford it. I'd like to cut corners with fixing it. Uh, and, you know, you've got varying degrees of supervisory instruments to deal with the institution in that regard. But actually, in the vast majority of cases, it's an honest, mature, open, honest relationship. Um, and, and so that, I guess, boils down to the issue of trust. But also, you know, I'm not sure if there's a person on the line that shouldn't be on the line. Um, but I guess part of me feels, so what, right? I mean, you know, th these, these discussions are confidential. They, they sometimes deal with client-specific issues, but they're not secret to the point where they're market-sensitive. If they were, we would use special technologies. Um, so we use MS Teams for most of our discussions with the banks. If it's a highly confidential discussion, we'll use Cisco WebEx. Um, and if it's even more confidential, uh, and there have been one or two of those discussions, certainly within the central bank, we would use encrypted lines. Um, but, but for the vast majority of discussions, you know, we've used MS Teams, you take the regular checks and balances uh, to make sure that there isn't any untoward visitors on the line. Okay, thanks very much for that, Kuben. And perhaps I could stay with you, Kuben, and, and pose to you uh, some questions we've been receiving from participants, uh, specifically about, uh, first of all, uh, credit files in the institutions you supervise, and secondly, a point you mentioned in your, in your first answer, Kuben, about AML compliance. Uh, and I think all of those questions really boil down to, you know, if, it's, if it's not possible uh, simply to access those files digitally, if the banks don't have that systems, perhaps it comes back to your point about the smaller banks, Kuban. You know, what do you actually do? How do you how do you handle that? So perhaps start with you, Kuban. So for the larger institutions, they send data automatically to a a, a database at the Reserve Bank. Um, it's a it's a highly automated process. Um, and supervisors can access the data uh, remotely sitting at, at home. Uh, we also supervise insurance companies and for the first five weeks for very big data downloads, staff actually had to go into the office. But by week five, week six, we sorted that problem out and they were able to access the data at home. Um, and, and so in that sense, there's absolutely no difference between whether the analyst is getting the data at home or the analyst is getting the data at the office. It's all downloaded onto a central database. Maureen, perhaps I could ask you to pick up on the same question. 
the experience in Jamaica is very similar to Cubans. Um, for those institutions who are digitized, um, we can access their, their files digitally. We have like, for example, data sharing platform where we can share that kind of information that doesn't come through the Prudential portal. Um, for smaller banks that are not digitized, um, we are not able to see those, those, those credit files, for example. But to the extent that the, 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 the credit adjudication process, that that is um, somewhat digitized, they can share the files and we can see the information that through um, via the data sharing platforms, um, where we can look and see, revise, review that and analyze that information and, and, and give a feedback. Um, for, for, for smaller institutions, it's a bit more challenging. And so now we have to um, rely more on their own processes and we pay a lot of attention to their reporting. So we look to see um, the, 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 um, the quality of assets to see how those indicators are moving and, and the trend in those indicators and then have a conversation around that with the institutions. We also um, work a lot with the financial stability department. So we have a view of what is happening in the economy and what the prognosis of the economy is. And using that type of that, that, that top-down stress to see how credible the information from the institute, various institutions are, bearing in mind their positions that their status at the point of COVID um, in terms of the evolution of their own balance sheets and the credibility of that, um, relying of course on their reporting, but we are constrained for those banks that are, that are less digitized in the type of information that we can see. Okay, thanks for that. Um, welcome back, Kuban. Um, perhaps I could just move on and ask you a slightly different question, Kuban, and if you, if you just wanted to pick up on anything from the previous one, please do. But uh, it's really a question of, you know, given the lessons you've learned from the various ways in which you've substituted for on-site visits, and as a result of your analysis of where that's gone well, where that's gone less well, um, which activities that you previously did on site do you think you will do differently once the COVID-19 restrictions are lifted? So uh, I certainly hope that we do have more virtual meetings. Um, you know, it's just more practical, it's more efficient. I've got to drive less and spend less time in traffic. Um, but the same is true for, for sort of board members of a bank or uh, in some cases, executives. W what I certainly miss is the face-to-face -face contact, the eye contact. Um, you know, you, you're dealing in some cases, you're dealing with newish people that you don't know well. Um, it, it's hard to develop a rapport. Um, you know, the, 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 I guess what would be called the water cooler chat um, you know, before the meeting, the chit chat over the biscuit tray, uh, you, you don't get that, you know, you, you, um, so, so yeah, I, I miss that. Um, and so I hope that the future is a blend. Uh, I hope the future is not entirely virtual, but I certainly hope not to go back to the old days where I spent a lot of time driving from one place to another, um, or commuting from one place to another, um, you know, it, it's, it, it's just extremely convenient. I mean, the other day I had a meeting with a, a major shareholder of a small bank. And, you know, at the last minute, that person had to go to, uh, to, go to Kenya for the day. Uh, there was no change in the arrangements. We just, the meeting still continued. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's, uh, it, in, if, if we were not in the COVID world, the meeting would have been canceled or postponed or something like that. Uh, so, so yeah, I, I think uh, there are certainly efficiencies that we have to have to milk. Okay, thanks for that. And Maureen, same same question for you. What are you going to keep? Uh, um, what, um, what to go back what, to? Echoing what 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 am I going to keep? 
definitely the, the, the meetings, you get better participation for the same reason Kuman just um, mentioned, uh, especially at the board. Normally you have a meeting with the board and you may have 50, 60% of the board. Now there's no excuse for not having the entire board or the board subcommittees. Definitely, definitely those meetings will continue virtually. The networking though is a part that I think that cannot be replaced virtually. And there's a need for that kind of networking, especially among regulators. There's information that is shared among regulators in a, in a conversation. And that conversation can only be had if you have a relationship with that person. You can't, it's very difficult and challenging to build relationships virtually. So as Kuban said, a blend Will, will still need to happen. I definitely don't miss the commute. My days are much more productive and the downside of that, longer hours, work time and, and personal time blend into each other. And, and so you find that you're working longer hours, but, but it's more manageable because then you're using that commute time in a, ver in a much more productive way, definitely. Don't miss the commute. And, and I think, again, a blend of what we do um, is going to be the new norm going forward. What do I keep? Certainly, um, especially on AML safety supervision, um, the use of data analytics um, in that kind of supervision. I do not think I will be going back to the days um, where I am going in, as Kuban said, as a police and literally checking this, that. I will be now be more looking at your systems and I will now more rely on um, the reports coming from those systems and whether the efficacy of those reports are, 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 are you know, is good based on the quality of those systems. So yes, there are a number of things that we will keep, will not go back to, but face-to-face um, uh, -face contact, that kind of interface is not replaceable um, for the virtual format. Lauk, can I take yeah. Babak's question on the chat? Yeah, of course, yeah, please, please do. So uh, this is a I, I question Babak. about the, the uh, psychological impact uh, arising from working from home, just to explain to the participants the you know, it's, of the question. Yes, COVID has had huge advantages and huge disadvantages. Uh, I mean, in, in the midst of, you know, March, April, uh, I work, my wife works and the kids were at home. And I, I had a real challenge to ensure that sort of my son wasn't, wasn't watching videos on YouTube and actually doing his schooling. And I'm trying to manage a banking crisis or an economic crisis, um, while at the same time trying to ensure that my son is not on, on YouTube and actually visiting his class uh, online. And, and that's life, right? I mean, th that's life under COVID. It's incredibly challenging. Um, there was another time when I was having what was an extremely difficult argument with uh, somebody from a stock exchange um from from and you know it it was it was such a negative difficult argument that i think it affected the whole family right um and and you know that would never happen at all at the office right um and uh, i i felt somebody was being dishonest with us um and uh, you know it was not a pleasant discussion <laughs> um now you know, you 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 got to you got to deal with that. I live in a fairly nice house with fairly decent space, but some of our employees live in one bedroom apartments. Sometimes there are two or three people in the, in the apartment, a husband and wife, and maybe one or two kids, all working, trying to work online. Um, it's incredibly tough. We have been pretty accommodative. A, we provided counselling services to our staff. Some have taken it up. We have given special permission for some staff to go in uh, to the office uh, under certain circumstances because they just felt that their home environment was not conducive to working. Um, 
but you know, sort of gender violence has increased under COVID. Um, we've had to worry about that uh, if you you employ hundreds of supervisors. Um, so, so, so those you know, those are the behind the scenes things that the in some ways the real heroes of the central bank worry about and uh, it doesn't get much airtime, doesn't get much attention. But as a good, as a responsible employer, you have to have those systems. Um, I mean, after a few months, I sort of sent for my chair. Right? And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a small thing, but actually it's nice to sit in a comfortable chair um, uh, if you're doing it eight, nine, 10 hours a day. Uh, so, so, so those things count. <laughs> those things are part of the process. Okay, Maureen, sorry, you're on mute, I think. Yes, I, I, I do agree. Um, at the Central Bank, we do have a mix of work from home and persons who go into the office. So I, the, um, the staff complement at the bank, I think now it's about 55, 60% um, working from the office while the um, rest work from home. We have put in place a work from home policy. So the, and to ensure that those persons who are working from home of the environment that will actually allow them to work from home. Um, we have a counseling, um, we've made counseling um, available to those employees who require that kind of, of counseling. But we do have a mix of persons who work from home and those who work at the back. So in terms of social distancing, um, we say that we wouldn't want to have more than 60% of the staff being present at the bank at in on any one day. So we have a system of rotation, right? And those who have the facilities to work from home need to prove that they have the facilities to work from home um, to allow for that to happen. Yeah. Okay, thanks very much for that. Uh, quite a lot of questions coming in on uh, subtech, the use of technology, data, data analytics by supervisors. Uh, so I think the broad question there is, you know, particularly as a result of your experiences uh, over the last nine months, uh, as a result of the sort of things you've been talking about by way of alternatives and substitutes for on-site supervision, you know, how do you want SUPTEC to develop in your institution? How are you going to make that happen? And two specific points there from the questions, which you might cover if you can, please. Uh, the first is, you know, does this mean that you're actually cutting back on the number of supervisory staff? Is SUPTEC actually a means of making, making staff savings in a supervisory authority? And secondly, perhaps coming back again to the smaller institutions, you know, does SUPTEC and the introduction of it impose uh, an undue cost burden on the smaller institutions who have to find a way of providing all of the data and information you want in that very particular form. So I think a couple of a couple of sub questions under the subtech banner. Uh, so uh, Maureen, do you want to go first on this one? Okay, Please. sure. Um, so let me. Um, how have we been using subtech, for example? We have not been using subtech on the prudential side, the traditional prudential side, um, very much. What we have been what we have used it on is on the email safety side. So, for example, recently we used Subtech to do some um, to test the transaction screening systems at institutions. The results of that was pretty enlightening for us, but not only us. For um, when we shared the information with the boards themselves, they too were were, were, were some of them were taken aback, some of them were surprised. Some of them were not, um, and it, it, it showed it, it. It proved to us that, and we did it. We did it. We did it in a thematic study, so we did it right across the system, and the results were mixed. Um, and for a couple of institutions, really immediately took steps even before they provided us with their action plan. Their action plan actually said set out what they had already started doing to, to, to fix um, their systems. Um, so I see a tremendous benefit there from, um, from SUPTEC 
in, in helping us to test those systems, the kind of, of, of skills that we would not have had in-house to be able to do that in a robust way. So, for, so, so that for me was good. Um, for small institutions, uh, if you're relatively small, then um, manual systems may suffice. But once you go beyond a certain scale, then it is incumbent that you have systems that are commensurate with your size to be able to manage that, that particular risk. Um, for the smaller community type-based um, institutions, for example, credit unions that are member-based, most of them employee-based, where the risk itself is, 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 is um, small or low, then you can understand not putting in place those kind of systems. But for large, diverse institutions, um, where their, 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 their customer base span the region, for example, there's no excuse for not having those kind of systems. And from a regulator perspective, us being able to afford the kind of skills to be able to do it at the level of efficiency of a soup tech firm, for example, a data analytic firm, um, would not be worth building, building um, within the supervisory authority. That being said, you still need to have a cater of experts who can analyze the results from those systems and those reports that you get from your, your, your outsourcer. But um, yes, the, the, that, the, the, the use of technology is, um, is here to stay. I don't see any other way of, of, of doing that. We're also, um, again, doing another study, um, this time on transaction testing, mm -hmm. how you onboard your um, customers, the kind of risk assessments that you do, and to allow you to categorize them in the kind of, of, of of buckets that will allow you to assess risk on an ongoing basis, that, that's coming again. That for me as well is better done through the use of technology rather than you just doing transaction testing um, randomly. Um, the kind of results that you would get from that, I think would give you more information for you to be able to make more focused and more target um, um, supervisory um, response to, to, to the institutions. So, so, so in terms of that, technology is here to stay, but it must be a blend of human resources coupled with that technology for it to work at the, that, um, efficiently, um, at, um, 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 I would say. Um, as to replacing supervisors, um, I, would not, I would say no. What I do see changing though, is the kind of skill sets that our examiners will need in the future, right? So the skill sets that we usually um, employ for, that will also need to evolve as technology itself evolves. And as institutions and their channels of delivery, as those continue to evolve, the kind of supervisors, the kind of skills that we employ will also need to evolve, right? That's what I would say to that. Okay, thanks very much, Maureen. So technology here to stay and skill sets need to evolve. Uh, mm -hmm. Kuban, is that how it looks to you? Sure. Um, you know, I, I agree with most of what Maureen has said. Um, let me talk a little bit about the staff savings or whether we get making staff redundant. There's some tasks that the supervisors don't like, right? Uh, and I'll, I'll mention two. Um, supervisors don't like having to put graphs together and, um, you know, so, so you automate that, right? And you, you, get, you get technology to do that for people. Um, they don't like writing, writing letters, um, long letters, but actually it's harder to automate that. So our focus has been, you know, let's try and reduce the time burden that supervisors spent on things they don't like in the hope that they'll spend more time on looking at risk or looking at the data and looking at trends in, in, in the institution or in the sector. 
working smarter rather than harder. It does not require fewer people, um, certainly not in our case. Uh, we're continuing to grow the number of people we employ slowly but steadily. Uh, we, we've not yet come across any technology so far uh, that could make any of our people redundant. Um, but SubTech is a journey. You know, you've got to get the basics right. Um, data management is, 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 is one of those basics. Every piece of data on that database, who owns it? Who owns the definition? Whose responsibility is it for it to be accurate? If you don't get those things right, you know, data analytics don't help. Um, and I think we very much at, at on a journey from A to Z, we only at C or D uh, in getting the data management right, in getting data ownership right, getting the taxonomy right, working with industry on data taxonomy um, so that we can in the future use more advanced analytical tools. We're not yet there. Okay, uh, thanks for that. And I think uh, still probably in some of the questions, um, some, some nagging doubts perhaps about the extent to which uh, what was previously done on site can easily be substituted for. So specific question about uh, transaction monitoring and perhaps more generally, if you want to take a, a walkthrough or take an overview uh, of systems used by supervised firms, um, you know, how easy is it to do that virtually uh, rather than going on site and going through each of the steps and seeing how the systems deal with it um, physically in the room. How can, how can, how can you do this without going on site? Is, is SubTech perhaps part of the answer for analyzing systems? Uh, Kuben, do you want to start on that one, please? Look, if you absolutely have to visit an institution, you visit an institution, you, you take the necessary precautions, um, you know, sort of wear face masks, keep one and a half, two meters away from people, make sure that there's good ventilation. If you absolutely have to visit institutions, you do it. Uh, we didn't do it in March, April, May, but we certainly have done it to, to a limited extent since then. Um, it, it's not out of the question. If you absolutely have to do it, you do it. But, you know, I, I, I think the case for having to do it is, is decreasing. You know, the, the more we're able to use technology and the more the institutions that we supervise can use technology, uh, the, the, the less able, uh, the less need for, 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 for those visits. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I don't think there's a magic bullet about it. I think it's, a, it's, a, it's just trusting people in some cases. Um, and where you absolutely have to, you go and physically visit. Okay, Maureen? Well, in terms of transaction monitoring, um, I would say that we're there already. Um, if, you do, if, you, if, you, if you just use your own personal life, if you use your credit cards within seconds, information comes back asking you if you did that particular transaction. That is data analytics. AI somewhere is monitoring your transaction, you're um, linking that card or, or, or whatever device you're using with that number with a particular transaction and feeding back. And actually that is what systems do. It records each transaction a customer does. And that is the ongoing monitoring over time being able to look at trends in that customer's action and detecting when an unusual trend or, or activity is happening. And then you go and do your analysis to find out whether or not this unusual transaction is suspicious or not, or whether or not you need to make a report. That is how these systems work, being able to view all your customers, whatever they're doing, being able to do it on a real-time basis. Now, of course, if you were doing that manually, the amount of persons that you would have need to employ to do that um, would put you out of business pretty soon. So the use of technology is already there, is how then the regulator or the supervisor, how does the supervisor exploit 
that particular technology that you are using to monitor your transactions and to come back to see whether or not it is a reliable system, it is an efficient system, and the reports being produced are efficacious. That's, that's the use of technology and how technology can help us. Um, traditionally, you would go in and you would sample and you would choose samples of transactions, customers, and you would go through one by one and look to see how they monitored that customer's um, transactions over time and whether or not they were reporting in the way they ought to have reported. Um, I find that some of that can be very tedious and technology would really help the examiner there because then they can focus, as Kuban said, on looking at how the risk is managed, right? And whether or not there are changes that would need to be made in the risk management system to make the system as a whole at that licensee more robust. Thank you. Okay, thank you. And then perhaps just one uh, possibly quick uh, question relating to subtech is, have either of you made any use of any blockchain type uh, developments in your subtech introduction? Maureen, any use of anything to do with blockchain? Not yet, but the central bank right now, uh -huh. we are looking to introduce a central bank digital currency. Uh -huh. um, I'm not sure the technology that they'll be using in that development, but in terms of, mm. of digital currencies, I know that blockchain is, mm. is, is usually the, 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 the preferred um, mechanism to, mm -hmm. to, to do that. Um, but we're just in the very initial stages. We are exploring um, the partners with which we, we, we are, the, the various partners who would um, allow this to happen. Um, but by this time next year, if I were asked that question, that maybe would have been better able to answer. But in terms of the technology that we've been using, we have been using third-party technology. Um, whether or not their technology is sitting on blockchain, I, I wouldn't be able to answer that. Okay, Kuban. Yeah, I mean, same year we've used it in, or we've experimented with it in other parts of the central bank, but not yet. Uh, in the Prudential Authority. Um, you know, it, there, there, there is one case use that we're working on. Uh, our law says that the register of institutions that we supervise has to be jointly held by ourselves, the market conduct regulator and the treasury or the minister. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that they licensed for. Uh, and so because it, it, the law says it has to be simultaneously held at three institutions, it sounds perfect for a blockchain. And so we, 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 we're experimenting, um, trying to build the database on a blockchain, but we're not yet there. Okay, thanks for that. Uh, one different question, which I think takes us back to uh, the sorts of things you were doing when you, when you moved away from on-site supervision at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, a question about the use of legal experts. Um, mm. I'm not quite sure what the question means, but to my mind, I suppose it could be one of two things, which is number one, did you take any legal advice uh, specifically in the context of having to adjust to COVID-19? And I suppose the second interpretation of the question would be, you know, once you started working differently, uh, did you find that you made more or less use of legal experts? Which I suppose might mean, was your general counsel included or excluded from invitations for various types of Zoom meeting? Uh, Maureen, anything on well, use of legal experts? You know, that is one thing that has not changed. From my joint okay. many, many moons ago, <laughs> we always had a legal expert sitting in our supervisory meetings. We have legal experts that are assigned to supervision. We call them supervisors with legal, with, 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 with legal degrees. But we never meet, for example, with a board or senior management or an external meeting without having legal counsel at that meeting. Um, and that continues to be the same 
in terms of how in terms of how we operate in this new normal. Um, we always have um, that as just as a routine part of our supervisory processes, legal advice as a routine. Yeah. Okay. Fine. If a question was asked by a lawyer, I'm sure she or he would be very pleased with that answer. Uh, Kuban. Look, my, my, my personal philosophy is if you need your lawyer in the room for a discussion, then your trust basis is low to start off with. Um, but so, so, so no, I mean, we, we certainly don't take lawyers or legal experts on most prudential meetings. We've got a legal team inside the prudential authority, fairly small, four or five people uh, that provide us with support ranging from policy and legislative drafting uh, down to contracting and uh, uh, general legal support. The Reserve Bank itself has a fairly biggish legal support team of about 10, 12 people. Uh, and then we've got a team of, of companies that we, we have a retainer with um, for, for external legal advice and opinion. Um, sometimes we work in quite litigious processes and you know you, you have to you have to lawyer up. Um, but you know I, I think uh, in general we, we, I wouldn't say we, we take our lawyers everywhere. Okay, thank you very much. And a question which I think relates back to a point you were making, Maureen, about the introduction of subtech and the implications of this for the skills and expertise of your supervisors. So perhaps start with you on this question, Maureen. You know, what are you actually doing uh, to raise those skills or recruit them? What does that training, development, recruitment look like in practice? Any any quick hints you can give people as to how to make sure that works effectively? Early days yet. And so that's why we're relying on third parties. But at the same time, mm -hmm. we're looking for persons who have um, um, degrees in data analytics or data engineering. Data engineers are kind of those kind of persons. Mm -hmm. And then we're also looking for knowledge transfer when we, as, as, as we use those third party firms, the kind, the transfer of knowledge in building our team. So is identifying young, young supervisors or, or onboarding young supervisors with a particular training in data analysis, data engineering, and then training them to be supervisors um, and then getting knowledge transfer from the firms with, which, with whom we engage. Okay, thank you. And Kuban, same question. Human, human resource development capacity building is, is an ongoing process, incredibly important. Um, I like the fact that we have multidisciplinary teams. So in the Prudential Authority, we hire you know, everybody from engineers to lawyers, accountants, actuaries, legal experts. Um, and and uh, it, it, it's, you know, I think if somebody is smart enough, interested in the area and has taken the time to, to understand the foundational aspects, we'll hire them. Actually, what degree they have is less important. Um, of course, we do have to specifically build certain pipelines. Uh, I, uh, we supervise insurance companies. So on the actuarial side, uh, building the pipeline is a long process. Um, on the, you know, we're trying to get data analysts and data scientists. Uh, they're not easy to come by. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a chicken and egg. If you have a team of four or five good data scientists and all the, the, the bells and whistles and toys, then it's easy to attract people. But if you don't have all of that, then it's hard to attract people. So how do you get there? And we're not yet there. Uh, so, so, so I think we, we, we are battling on, on the data analysts uh, side. Uh, but, but part of that solution is to is to produce your own, right? I mean, to take people uh, who are supervisors who have an affinity for maths or for data, uh, and to to give them the toys to play with, you know. So uh, we invested in SAP a while ago, um, 
and uh, you know some of the analysts have excelled in it. They they, they they're not what you would call a data scientist, but they can do uh, almost any testing of a bank's model, a bank's credit model. They can use SAP to to test those assumptions, etc. Okay, well, thank you very much for that. Um, we started on time. Um, I think it's only right and proper, particularly in this Zoom age, but we finish on time as well. Um, so our hour is up. But let me say thank you, first of all, to our panelists, Kuben and Maureen, for your uh, extremely interesting and informative answers to a very wide range of questions. Uh, Kuba unfortunately told me at the outset that he regarded himself as a generalist and happy to answer almost anything. I think you've both proved that you're generalists and more than happy and indeed competent to answer almost anything. So thank you very much for that. Uh, and also thank you very much to all of the participants uh, for listening in today and in particular to those of you who ask questions. I think we've managed to answer almost every single one of the questions you put up. So thank you very much for those questions. Uh, I hope the answers were useful to you. Uh, so thank you very much for today's seminar. Thank you. Mm -hmm.